0: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice. Head to SkullSplitterDice.com slash Tome Show to get a 15% off coupon. It's also supported by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links and for being patrons over at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, without Tracy, number 330... We're going to stop a plague demon as we review the demon plague. Joining us for this episode is the Tome Show's social media manager, waking up from his frozen prison, Ishmael Alvarez. <laughs> Welcome back.
1: Hello. How's it going?
0: It's lovely on this end. Uh, and <laughs> also on board with us, uh, writing a comment across the internet to bring havoc to us all is Jonathan Green.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's fantabulous. It's good to have everybody here uh, from all over the world. We are an international uh, cast tonight of reviewers from, from at least three different time zones. That's impressive, right?
2: I mean, yes. we all managed to get on at the same time. I, that's, that's always a success. If I could do that at work, my life would be much easier. i say,
0: just navigating three different time zones, uh, one of which is, is far removed, you know? What, what are you, uh, how many time zones away are you?
2: Uh, your Eastern time's at just five hours.
0: Five hours from me, six from, from Ishmael?
2: Uh, I guess seven from Ishmael, because you'll be mountain time, yeah? Are you yeah. mountain
0: time? Oh, okay. I am. Right on. Okay, so, uh, this is an adventure, The Demon Plague is an Adventure, written by John Four and friend of the show, James Intercaso. Uh, before, James worked on what appears to be just about every book Wizards of the Coast published. Uh, He wrote this level 1 to 20 adventure alongside John as part of a Kickstarter project. It collects four adventures into a full campaign across a setting known as the Luna Valley. James also streamed a playthrough of the campaign and has a podcast version of that stream coming out uh, to this day, produced by another good friend of the show, Rudy Basso. So, before we get too far into that, I want to make sure we mention our sponsor, Dice. If you head to skullsplitterdice.com slash show, you will find a coupon code that will give you 15% off and they'll know that you came from us. I think this is going to be the last episode I record for this sponsorship, but I have to say I've really enjoyed having Skull Splitter Dice be a sponsor. They have not been the first dice company who sponsored us, uh, so it would be really easy to be a bit blah about them, but I, I just can't do it. Um, their dice are really cool, and while I don't need more Dice or dice accessories or what have you I keep going back and checking out the store I've already bought things from them twice and I've got another couple of things in in a cart already getting ready to make a third purchase uh, Because I keep finding cool stuff whether it's dice that I bought for my own game group dice that I got for myself And now I discovered that they have this really cool um, Dice container that's in the shape of like a necromantic skull made up of the face It's a skull made up of the faces of like ghosts and stuff uh, so that seems yeah, really cool, and I might have to pick that up since I'm about to head to Ravenloft. It seems ideal to have my dice sitting on the, on the, the table um, in a giant skull, you know. So anyway, uh, I guess you could say I am not just a spokesman, but I am a fan of SkullSplitter dice. You can check them out at SkullSplitterDice.com slash TomeShow, and I promise you will find something that you want.
3: Look, mate. Three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade SkullSplitter. With it, they won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. And that one doesn't even make sense because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the great Skull Splitter grows, offering dice to help you create your own legends. Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice, beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies, Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at skullsplitterdice.com slash tomeshow and use the coupon code Show, with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. So we are back and it's on to the review. But first up,
0: I believe at least one of us is working from a review copy. So, in full disclosure, who is that?
1: That is me. I am working from a review copy.
0: That's awesome. So, uh, and I don't, Jonathan. Uh, did you purchase it after the fact, or did you kickstart it?
2: Uh, so I was a Kickstarter backer. Yeah. So I've been on board since the uh, since the very beginning.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's how I got my copy as well. As I kickstarted it. So. Now we know where everybody's coming from. So let's start off with the hard question? Easy question? I don't know. Uh, what's the adventure about? Who wants to to tackle that?
2: Uh, yeah, I'll jump in on that one. Um, so the, uh, the adventure starts off after uh, this nice Arctic uh, tundra has been melted by a giant comet. And as everything starts getting melted, uh, old civilizations and ruins start getting uh, uncovered, including a... Uh, yeah, uh, something called the Demon Plague, which turns uh, humanoids into uh, vicious undead monsters. It is not curable by divine magic, and it starts slowly spreading. And it's up to the players to find out the uh, the cause and stop the disease before uh, the plague spreads across the entire world.
0: Yeah, that's a good sort of <laughs> summary in general, right? Uh, and so you've got this like glacier-like valley. It's like it's an old valley. There yeah. was. Um, very, like, the backstory on this uh, is intentionally, I think, cyclical, um, right? Because it starts off with um, these elves that live there that had escaped sort of the destruction uh, that was being wrought on their, their home by um, this plague demon um, known as Zancrown. And so they escape. They end up in this place that ends up being called the Luna Valley. Um, Zancrown follows them there. They... Managed to trap the demon into this sort of dungeon um, using a, a powerful ritual and what have you, and then, but the the star elf sort of empire dies off in the in the um, in the destruction from Xan Crown, right? And then a thousand years later, the dwarves move in and they, as dwarves do, dug too deep. Uh, you know, uh, they end up dwarfs. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> Uh, They end up uh, waking Zancrown and wreaking their own sort of destruction in the process. And then the Zancrown sort of goes back to sleep again. Uh, Then the human imp... Is it then the human empire? No, then it's the the green No, then the goblins. Yeah. Yeah. Which was an interesting choice, by the way. um, That they sometimes in the book refer to goblins and sometimes refer to greenskins...
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> it, I, I, whenever I heard greenskins, I always just assumed that was kind of the, uh, I mean, slightly racist term that the, uh, the residents of the valley, uh, valley used to describe it. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, well, and it was but, I mean, instant- it's, oh. it's, go ahead.
1: No, no, sorry, you go, you go first.
2: I mean, essentially, it's goblins, hobgoblins, bugbears, the traditional goblinoid, uh, races although a slightly winter version of them because it is all arctic and frozen up there so a slight variation of the traditional goblins but still the same you know those those big three goblins hobgoblins bugbears that all kind of work together
0: right
1: right well i was just gonna add too that at first i thought maybe they mean like a conglomerate of goblinoids and orcs but then i remembered orcs are only green in in world of warcraft
0: well, and that, that was part of my thinking, too, is that there's um, there's some effort to make the adventure not – it's not setting neutral, but it's it's sort of its own little self-contained setting that can then be be planted into whatever world you want it to be. And it occurred to yeah. me that maybe they were – maybe they were referencing – oryx more or less, but recognize that orcs don't exist in all settings. Like Kobold Press's Midgard mm. don't don't have orcs, right? But they do have uh the trollkin. So maybe they used sort of this term instead so you could swap out whatever. But then it becomes and it's fairly ambiguous through most of the adventure. But then you get to the um to the end, not to skip to the end, but you're dealing with these four factions inside the dungeon representing these four different eras of of fighting against the Zan crown. Um, and the one that is the Greenskins is populated by goblins and goblinoids. Um, so it makes it pretty clear that green skins equals goblins. At which point now, then it's just a strange term to use for him, and I wasn't sure what was going on.
1: No, that totally makes sense.
0: Uh, so in any case, I was g- giving more background, right? The, then the Greenskins come in. The same sort of thing happens to them. Uh, that was a thousand years after the Dwarves, and then a thousand years after the Greenskins come in, the human empire called the Racyon Empire comes in, um, and and they also awaken the Z- uh, awaken Zan crown because apparently that's what you do every thousand years. A new group is is there ruling the area, and you wake up the Plague Demon underneath it, the, your feet. Uh, and so they wake up the Plague Demon, but they had a group of druids that figured out how to modify the um, the original Star Elf ritual to try to re-trap Zancrown. And so they trapped him back in his dungeon, but also, like, dropped a glacier on the entire valley. So it's even harder to get now to the dungeon to wake him up, right? And that's what happens yeah. for a thousand years again. Um uh, and and such as such as life in the Luna Valley until now it's the current time and uh, a comet has landed and the comet is melting the glacier and waking up Zan Crown for the fourth time fifth time well he was already awake the first time right
2: okay yeah <laughs> so <laughs> fifth time he's here fourth time he's waking up
0: yes <laughs> yeah so. So, yeah, that's sort of the backstory. And so the, the players are there. The glacier is melting. All of the, the towns that existed in the Luna Valley have been destroyed by the glacier melting and the the rapid change in the environment. Um, and so all these refugees have gone to the one last town that exists, Tomar's Crossing, that happens to be on a hill in the middle of the valley. Uh, and that's where the players sort of take up, take over, right?
1: Yeah, and uh, they did a really good job of making it the kind of place that you would want to k- keep on going back to. It seems like there's a lot to do there. And, uh, you know, like, like a good town should be, there. There's, there are endearing NPCs that would make you want to fight for them not to be obliterated.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the, the town of Tomor's Crossing it might be the strongest point of the entire adventure. Um, the number of NPCs that are there, the amount of political intrigue that's available if if players want to uh want to get involved, um, what you can do with the various survivors. So if if your players want to uh you know, really go in like let's try and save what scraps of civilization that we can and get food mm-hmm. and things like that. Or they might say, Okay, that was a nice little adventuring town when we were level two, we don't care anymore and they can leave it. It um it gives a lot of options. Um and in my group it's been one of the uh, Kind of one of the stellar bits of the campaign is dealing with Tormus Crossing.
0: Okay, so you've actually been running it.
2: Uh, yeah, actually I finished session number twenty-three about uh, three hours ago. Oh wow! So we oh, wow. Uh, yeah we just finished playing earlier tonight.
0: So how far into the adventure are you?
2: Um, so my player is just at level eight. Um, we did so the adventure is kind of broken into four parts, like so levels one through five, six through ten, eleven through fifteen, and then through the end. 1 through 5 weeks stayed pretty close to the book but now we've gone pretty far off the uh off the kind of path that's uh that's been there um mm-hmm. more and more of the custom stuff that i added to tie into my players' uh backgrounds and things like that has started coming up so um at this point what they should be doing is frantically searching for all the ritual pieces to try and uh reseal in zancrown um and they have not done any of that they're okay. running around <laughs> up in uh up in the town of Safe Harbor trying to uh, fight um, a giant undead Kraken.
0: So, you know, good times. Okay. So you've (laughs) added your own little uh, elements.
2: Um, Although, go ahead. The Kraken was, yeah, the Kraken was in one of the bonus things that was included for the Kickstarter. But yeah, I've added in a lot of my own personal stuff. um, Just to tie into, you know, like you should do with any published adventures, take what's there and then add in your own stuff on top of it to make it more relevant to players.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting. Have you been – did you watch the stream or have you been listening to the podcast version of the stream?
2: I've been listening to the podcast, yeah. And I'm just about caught up with where it currently is, um, which is maybe halfway through the adventure.
0: Yeah, um, they just hit hit, uh, a point that I think is the finale maybe of the second part. Um, So so yeah, so it's been interesting – I I have been listening to the podcasted version um, from it the moment it came out, and now. But I hadn't read it. Like I kickstarted it, I had it, I downloaded it, but I, you know, just as an issue of time, I hadn't gotten around to reading it yet. Uh, and then I started reading it and discover, and I'm discovering how much of it, like how James, who's DMing it for the the podcast and stream, um, how he's even. How much of it he's sticking to and how much of it he's modifying to match his players, even as the the writer of the adventure, right? I was curious sort of how he would play it all and how he would run it and, and what would be modified and what would be the same and what have you. So it's been interesting to watch how much he's able to put into it. So anyway, yeah. So um, the first... Part. So let's let's. It's broken down into four parts, I guess. Uh, Let's just break down, or not even. We don't have to go through point by point, but let's let's briefly sort of talk about what each part is sort of about, right? What they're doing. So um, part one is largely deals with this trek to Fort Frostfell. Uh, Well, no, it starts with a a trek to Fort Frostfell.
2: Right. Um, Part one is largely about trying to find food for the refugees and um, tracking down a bunch of refugees who keep on getting kidnapped by by bandits by other people figuring out who's starting to take all these people mm. um, so, and a lot of it a lot more just focused on survival like the idea of getting food and things for the town is a major uh, major quest point um, but also tr- yeah, tracking down people who have been kidnapped uh, and then by the end of that, you kind of get a vague idea that there's something bigger going on um, so that's up through level 5 um, Part two is, um, I mean, essentially it's a bunch of fetch quest type things. You're c- gathering components for a ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, so going around to, uh, so there's some dungeons, there's some, um, there's you know, there's cults involved, like every good adventure should have. Um, and then part three is designed to be a bit of a hex crawl. So it's uh, going back around trying to track down, uh, track down something called a comet demon, who mm-hmm. is the one responsible for the melt. Uh, tracking down places to perform the ritual, and then the final part, uh, which is you know 16 through 20, is going into the dungeon of the Zan Crown. It ends with a uh, ends with a mega dungeon.
0: Right. So it kind of uh, was very clearly intended to to hit multiple sort of sort of typical forms of of adventure in the different yep. parts, right?
1: Yeah, and uh, I was going to add too. It just seems like uh it's very interesting the way that it was all set up where it was almost like a melting glacier where you started getting into different not only different parts of the adventure but like different parts of the history of how it happened mm-hmm. as you go from yeah. part to part you yeah, yeah. know kind of like you are really revealing more layers
0: yeah i know and you do sort of, you sort of pick up more and more as you go on, and a lot of what you're dealing with um like f- I like how different things layer in sort of that history and that lore. Um, like when they go to Fort Frost, Frostfell, that was a, an old fort from a knightly order. And the current incarnation of that knightly order is is in Tomar's Crossing with the refugees and, and potentially causing problems or or not, depending on what's going on in your campaign, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. And then similarly, you go through from there and you eventually work your way to um, to this the B- B- Barrows of the Star Elves or one of the Barrows of the Star Elves where you find uh, the big bad of part one who is this um, necromancer, Relikai, um, who it turns out for the big bad is, is really trying to help kind of, right?
2: Yeah, I can- it has a very good reason for doing what he's doing and can be reasoned with. Right. Um, which I know happened in James' uh, podcast, and that happened in mine as well. Like my, uh, my group sat down, like, okay, you know, they they just sat down, they had a long conversation. So one session was basically just a negotiation with the villain, where, you know, exchanging information, saying, okay, well, hang on, what if we do this and this? And, uh, yeah, it was just a giant let's parlay, um, which worked out really well. And a little bit of disappointment when they, when they realized they weren't going to get to throw down and have a big old fight. Right. But, uh, but overall, they were, they were happy with how that went.
0: Yeah, I was curious how that would, um, how that would work and, and, and how satisfying that, that is as an ending, right? Um, when you're, you're building up this adventure and you're expecting a, a big throwdown with the big bad villain that you've been hunting this whole time. And then you just sort of talk them down.
1: That's happened to me so many times where my <laughs> players have... They've been so willing to negotiate with like whoever the big bad is, even if it's just some mid-boss or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually then I'll be like, oh, and then some demons appear. Just throw something at them so that they can not only feel like they get a, a satisfactory fight, but then... I better not do it. But then... Um, also so that they they get to fight with the guy that they're negotiating or the person they're negotiating with. And that just cements the Alliance further. Um, You can only do that so many times before they start to cry foul though. Sure.
0: I can imagine. (laughs) So, so did you, uh, Jonathan, when you ran it, was it more or less straight? Like you, you, they negotiated Um, with it and mm -hmm. they were kind of let down by it and you let,
2: you let it go. Or how did you handle Uh, that? So overall they were pretty happy. Um, when my players were making backgrounds i kind of told them just the vague vague you know you know basically the starting bit for the campaign like here's how it starts out and here's where it's going to go right and one of my players um said hey i've got an idea what if we kind of use that one unique thing idea from 13th age
0: yeah
2: and his was when everything started to melt i was actually in the ice and i got thawed out i'm from some civilization long ago and i just woke up which is almost the exact same thing that that villain, Relikai, right. Uh, he's got that same thing. So I was able to tie their backstories together pretty pretty closely. And so while he's the most kind of gung-ho, let's go punch people, it ended up being a really neat kind of character development moment where he got to talk to somebody who actually knew his past and knew like who he used to mm-hmm. be. Um, so that worked out really well for me, but I can see some groups getting a little bit more frustrated. But for the most part, they were happy that they had the, the option to talk him down, even though they were ready for a fight. It ended up being a lot of um, a lot of backstory, a lot of development, and you know one of those negotiations with someone who, on the one hand, he's yes he kidnaps children and does weird magical <laughs> experiments on them. However, he's doing it to stop a plague that could end the world. Like you, his you know kind of argument is you have to make some sacrifices to save everyone else. Like okay, I'll buy that. are right. a little bit crazy and weird, but overall, your your end goal is something that we can kind of compromise on and agree that this is a goal worthwhile. We'll just get you to stop, you know, kidnapping innocent people for your experiments.
0: Right, and, and he at that, and especially at that point, like it's the adventure is designed in such a way that Relicai is is really kind of open to that. Like it describes that you know he's kind of reached the end of the usefulness of that part of his experimentation, uh, and so yeah. it's really easy to. Uh, we want you to stop kidnapping people. And he's like, yeah, well, I wasn't really getting anything out of that anyway, so that's fine, you know. <laughs>
2: Um, but you know, it's still a weird undead, you know, necromancer. So if your party's just they want to fight a, a good villain, he can easily become just you know, cackling maniacal Skeletor mm-hmm. type of villain as well.
1: Yeah, he he kind of reminds me of uh, Negan from Walking Dead, to where he's definitely mm-hmm. a bad guy, but there's uh, an element to him where you could, as a player, maybe convince yourself like we maybe need this guy because he knows things we don't, or he has some he has something that's going to help us make mm-hmm. it through uh and even if we have to like keep him in a cage and and feed him blood every so often like that's the that's the sacrifice we have to make to try and right. save the world or so on
0: right well and it and it's even it's even he it's working with with Ralakai is even more um there's more incentive for that even than there is for uh you know the the alexandrians to work with negan in the walking dead right because because right. you can understand negan and negan can be useful but ultimately negan has different goals than you like negan wants his people to survive and he wants you to more or less be enslaved to, to make that happen right whereas relicay like he want he kind of wants to save you he might have to kill some of you to do it but mostly he wants to save you right? Uh, so you actually have pretty aligned goals. It's just that he's an evil necromancer. I'm curious how crazy you made him, too, because uh, there was a line in there, in his description, about how he doesn't even realize he's been frozen, right? He still thinks it's a thousand years ago uh, and and that none of this has happened yet or none of the, the frozen bits or, or the new stuff has happened, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I went with him as a slightly mad, you know, German scientist. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> Which I, again, I got to have fun with, and you know, the the players they they, they roll they role played well. They had some good dice rolls, and it it worked out pretty well for them, about as well as it could have. Right on. Uh, But yeah, I mean, he's you can definitely play him up as this boy's crazy, and uh, you know, so it really is available to uh, kind of suit to your campaign. Um, while we're kind of talking about villains, the um the way that so the other thing that's happening in the background is there is this town, Homer's Crossing. And uh, when you first kind of read the adventure, it's like, why are there so many NPCs in this town, all of them with their own plot and their own mm-hmm. thing? But whenever you actually sit down and play it, it it works out very well. like the um there's the village council elections, which, if players want to get involved with, they can, and if they don't want they don't care, then they don't. But all the various members of the council, they've all i mean, this is the most treacherous town I've ever seen. Like everyone's <laughs> kind of got their own motivation. Everyone has. Uh, you know they're, they're spying on one another. They're suspicious. They're getting blackmailed, etc. So the current kind of village master, as the game as the game starts, is this guy named Jalen, and he's probably the best villain that I've ended up ever running because oh, wow. if it came down to a straight fight, like any of my players, they could just wipe the floor with him. Yeah. But um, you know, but he's he's smart. He learns from his mistakes, and he does kind of want what's best for the town. He just wants to make sure that he's also in charge while that's happening. Mm-hmm. So like, he'll compromise, like, oh yeah, hey, go and do this, get get this food, get these building supplies. That's great for the town. But if you cross him, then things start getting really ugly. Right. Um, and uh, you know, so I've enjoyed it just because it's gotten from, gotten to let me play a very intelligent villain who has very little, who has a lot of resources available, but physically, like I said, if it ever came to, he can't ever directly confront any PC because you know even the wizard will beat him in a fistfight like oh, yeah. he's just kind of a yeah he he's a pushover but so but, he he, to... but he's a well
0: connected pushover with with blackmail material, yeah. blackmail material on other npcs
2: sure sure um so i I've, I've had a blast with him um to the point where i'm ch- i'm changing a lot of stuff in the later chapters to make sure that he stays relevant and that the town of thoras crossing stays relevant because my uh, my players both in my game and also what i saw in uh, james's game really latched onto a lot of those npcs mm-hmm. and you know developed relationships with them and wanted to pursue what was going on in that town
0: well and you know what i noticed uh when i compare the adventure as written to the way james ran it is that the adventure as written has a quite lengthy list of potential npcs that could be running for the town council But he didn't highlight all of those people. He kind of picked out the ones that seemed the most relevant to the storylines that the players were interested in and left all the others out. And I think that's a smart way to do it. Like, There's a lot of NPCs to pull from, but you don't have to use all of those NPCs, right? You can just bring in the ones that that make the story work.
1: I was going to add in a little bit, uh, but just it seems like the town really ended up being the connective tissue, not just between the parts. Uh, but also just between the adventures, no, nope. I mean, with with some very uh, big exceptions, people just aren't in the mood to do mega dungeons as much anymore. But if you break up a mega dungeon with, like, you go to town and you socialize, yeah. and that kind of makes it uh, uh, a lot more um, desirable. Uh, so I saw that as being, like, the big plus, is that the town could always be a thing to go back to, not just to resupply, not just to break up the monotony, but to, like, kind of infuse the game with um, a lot more social uh, interaction than you would if you were, like, say, you know, playing so, uh, some other mega-dungeon right. uh, that didn't have factions in it, that didn't have, like, um, a lot of, uh, you know, agreeable NPCs and so on.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's um, there's an appeal to, um, to Tomorrow's Crossing in that way, right? A, a good... A well-written mega dungeon doesn't just have the the place to go back and resupply and rest. It has a place to go back that you care about and, and, and is impacted by what's going on, right? Uh, there was an element of that in... Um, Princes of the Apocalypse um, did that fairly well. Like, you were on a relatively small island, and so when the cult, you know, sort of got out of hand... Uh, as it was wont to do uh, while you were playing through the mega dungeon it would react and the reactions from the cult in the mega dungeon would would spill out into the town and things would get destroyed and and you know all that kind of stuff would happen um so i felt like tomar's crossing sort of provided a an actually like smaller more concise version of that um because it wasn't you know, the whole area and multiple little small towns, but it was like one town that where everybody's at because of, of the melt uh, and, and you, that you care about. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're right about that. It wasn't just like, this is a place we go and we kind of decompress. There are things in the adventure and in the dungeon and various places where uh, I guess if you trigger those events or you, you discover new things and it right. then either will make things happen in the town or it will make you want to investigate things in the town. Right. And I
0: actually rather liked the way um, it was written uh, in such a way that like it would describe like if you go and talk to this NPC in the town in, in, in part one, right? And, and even a little bit in part two, like there's this if you go talk to this person and you talk to them first, here's why you might do that and here's the kind of task they might Give you right, and it was and it, but it cha- it was subtle enough that it changes or nuanced enough that it changes depending on who you go and talk to in what order, right? If you and if you have already sort of started siding with one one person, it, it may affect how other people sort of react to, um, to what you what you're doing and what the, the tasks are that you're completing.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't quite have the replayability that you would see in like say Ravenloft, right. but like even uh, just thinking about the the contemporaneous games that are being played, you see all of the interesting little intricacies of like things that change or the way that things go. So you might play through once, but then if you let's say you watch a podcast or a live play of it, uh, you would be interested enough to know that it's not going to be exactly right. the same. You want to see what different little things the players did, what mm-hmm. what. Uh, uh, what choices they made may, may have made so it seems a lot less railroady in that aspect like there's there's paths to take and not everyone's gonna take the same path.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah no I, and, I, and it, part of me wonders like because I know James uh, who wrote a lot of this and I know that James worked on a lot of other things, including things like um, uh, dragon Heist. Right. I'm looking at some of the ways that the the NPCs were handled here and wondering if some of those weren't things that were being tested out that would then turn into like the faction missions in in Dragon Heist and that kind of stuff. Right. I I, I felt some some overlap there um, and and that overlap um, may be coincidental. Right. I don't know that it, had anything to do with each other um it may be a coincidence that it overlapped there because that is not a form of of adventure that's new all right people have done that kind of thing before
1: uh but no uh i totally agree it seemed like there was definitely a concerted effort to um to 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 kind of pull over some it was like a, a dry run if you will mm-hmm. uh and you see a lot of those same kinds of things uh, highlighting the intrigue over the the social interaction a little bit trying to make it like well mm-hmm. you know these are just people to talk to like you you're going to want to talk to them and if you don't they might be up to some stuff of their own right. that you'll then have to um kind of react to whether it's to help them or to to work against them
0: Right. And, and it, it's not the same kind of intrigue that you get in Dragon Heist, right? But but you definitely get like this political element to it, even in a small like – as much as uh, you're going to run into politics in a, in a relatively small village, right? Um, or a small right. city or whatever you want – however you want to describe Tomorrow's Crossing. It feels – like when I hear James describe it in his podcast, it feels small to me. Um but at the same time it's got refugees from like multiple cities <laughs> that have all converged here so um it must be bigger than than exists in my head right um but but there we are Um so so that's more or less part 1 and then part 2 um remind me what part 2 is about I'm pulling it up here on, on my iPad
1: Yeah same here um
0: Oh so part 2 see. part 2 is running it part 2 is the the collect the MacGuffin um, part of the adventure, right? Levels s- right. six through ten, yep. where the 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 ghosts of the druids who cast the the ritual that created the glacier show up and say, "Hey, we could do this again and retrap Zancrown, uh, but we need to you we need you to run around to the now uh, exposed ruins uh, all over the the valley in order to." Get us the components we need to complete this uh, ritual, and it feels—it yes. like, feels like when it's first described, this is going to be a bit of a slog, because there's like a bunch of components. But then it turns out that you kind of, uh, and first you have to go—you have to not only get the components, but you have to go and find the other ghosts to figure out what the components are. Uh, but then you realize that. You go to one location, it usually has an opportunity to find multiples of the components. Most of the components aren't unique. It's just, you know, like, for example, one of them is just a magic item, right? Or what is it? A magic weapon, maybe? Um, and so that's not unique, right? You can make that work regardless of um, of where you're at. You know, you don't have to go on a special quest to get a magic uh, weapon or a magic item uh, in this adventure. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, – and so that's doable, right? And then the few that are unique, you um, you can oftentimes collect them in the same location that you talk to one of the druid ghosts uh, and possibly even find several, uh, several some of the other uh, more unique um, components that you need. Like those mushrooms are growing in like two of the three locations that, that you go to. Um, so –
1: um, I was just going to say really quick to, to the kind of the setup of this adventure. Um, it reminded me of all of the discussion that was happening about Storm King Slender when that book came out uh, and kind of the lamentation of the fact that like so much of the book you w- would only use a chunk of it in one playthrough. And it seemed like this was almost like, uh, almost like a reaction to that where you could go to multiple locations. You wouldn't have to use all of them, but you could get, you you would have reasons to go from one to the other. Um, and you could get many of them at one. You could expand it to other locations, but uh, you could kind of like read the table as it were and decide how you wanted to go about it, how much right. of that you wanted to pursue.
2: Yeah. And this is in chasing down all the bits for uh, in yeah, part two? Yeah, part two. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so I was praising part one earlier. In parts two and three, I think things um, things are so much looser that... Um, my my plan is for a lot of these. I'm gonna take the stuff that I like, and I'm also gonna stick in my own dungeons and stick in some of my own uh, components. If you're the kind of GM who like who wants a rough guideline and then the freedom mm-hmm. to put in a lot of your own stuff and custom stuff, that's I think where where this this campaign can really shine because in parts two and especially in part three, because part three is really light. Oh, and part um, three is
0: very intended to be the sa- the sandbox hex crawl part of the yeah. dungeon, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the point where like, stick in all of your own personal custom stuff. Um, and you can also do that in in Part 2 as well. But yeah, Part 2 is very much a... Uh, you can find the stuff here, you can find it there. If your players miss one of them, eh, it's okay. Uh,
0: yeah, although you do yeah. kind of... It mostly details, what is it, three locations? Uh, and you kind of have to get to all of them as written because... Um, that's where the the druid ghosts are, right? You need to interact with right. these druid ghosts to figure out what you need, but also you're going to need them later to actually do the ritual. So, yeah. So you have to visit each of the three at least once, but it's also only three. It, it, that's not a very big ask.
2: Yeah, uh, you, know, you would think that, man. I got to go yell at the players <laughs> more. <tomorrow. laughs> I was gonna sit my uh once so at the end of part one, kinda of beginning of part two, you get to talk to Fairy Eye the Wise. Right. And who will kinda of lay out here's what happened, here's why we dropped a glacier on the uh on the place. And my uh some of my more I kinda of stick in the like super good players, like, what, you just dropped a glacier on everybody? Clearly, we don't care about your opinion. You're dumb and you make bad choices. We're not <laughs> gonna listen to you. We're gonna go up there and just see what's going on in this town up there. Maybe we'll come back and help you out with your dumb ritual, if we feel like it. Um, (laughs) Well, I suppose uh, you could do it that way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and that's going to come back and bite them as, you know, the demon plague gets worse and worse. This is a very good adventure to use kind of a ticking clock type of system. um, Mm. Because you can just start, you know, have more and more Veloc showing up Um, if they've really gotten attached to either... um, Either Tomar's Crossing or any of the other villages, or if they've you know set up a settlement in Fort Frostfell, which I know a lot of groups have done, um, you can just <laughs> start throwing Veilac at those, and they'll be they'll realize quickly, right. oh no, we can't ignore this, right?
1: Well, and it's a ticking clock that you've got your hand on the dial for. Um, yeah. yeah, It's not the kind of thing where you're you're kind of it forces your hand. You can right. you can play with it a little bit.
0: It's not Tomb of Annihilation, which specifically says this many hit points per day, sort of thing, yeah. right? <laughs> um, you, you can sort of, you know, remind them that there's danger, throw, throw a, a Veloc attack uh, at, at, you know, for Fro- Frostfell or Tomar's Crossing every now and then just to remind them, hey, you know, people are dying, people you care about are dying while you're running around not dealing with this, right? And maybe, <laughs> and maybe you don't like Fairy Eye's um, solution and there's good reason not to like Fairy Eye's solution, but what's your alternative, right? Yeah. Just let it go. That doesn't seem like a good choice. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you run all over the place. You find all these various components. And then um, is this the one that ends with the attack on Tomar's Crossing? Yes. Okay. So at the end, after they've yeah, collected the components, attack. there's a big a demon attack. It's um, it's sort of multiple waves. It's described as multiple waves of, of uh, demons um, leading up to, to a big fight. Um and just and it feels like it was, it was put in there like that for the reason of of like you said like without a ticking time uh, without a ticking clock right it still adds some pressure like no don't forget this is dangerous, but it also gives you sort of the big, conclusionary climactic fight at the end of the the section that that you may be missed with Relicai right,
2: yeah. And uh, luckily, I mean, with demons, it's not a let's talk this out. It's a no. They're going to try and kill everything. Right. Um, so that's definitely a no. Let's 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 throw down.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, I really like the way that they laid out the uh, attacks too. Just having triggers for like, this is when you can introduce the next wave, and this is a good idea for how the the following wave comes in, um, in a way that's dramatic but isn't necessarily overwhelming. Um, I think there was a lot of thought put into how that was going to work. Mm. Um, because I, I've seen that idea kind of implemented in other adventures and it just seems kind of like, okay, here's a wave of demons. All right. And when they're done with that, just throw the next one at them right. and, and, and so forth.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I've seen that kind of thing done before as well. Um, but oftentimes you don't see that kind of forethought in, uh, in a relatively small adventure written by a couple of people right now. And, and I felt like it was interesting. Um, John, you said you're not quite current on the podcast, right?
2: Uh, no, I think I'm an episode or two behind. Okay. and So and they're Ish- just finishing – I think they just finished The House of Chaos.
0: Okay. Ishmael, have you been listening to the podcast?
1: Um, I have not. I actually did not realize that there was a podcast, oh, okay. so I'm going to have to start listening to it.
0: Yeah, so so the last episode that just came out as we're recording this that I just listened to earlier today um, was The the Demon Attack, right? Yeah. Uh, and while we're praising sort of the way James uh, and John set up the the waves to to trigger at certain moments, so that it wasn't just one's done and then another one comes later and whatever, um, James didn't run it that way at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, there was a warning like, "Oh my gosh, it's, watch out! The demons are coming!" Right? And somebody noticed them, and they they all freaked out. And rather than like set up the defense of the town um the characters just sort of led the entire town in fleeing to the nearby fort and, and hiding out in there and then led the fight from from there so i don't know at this point what james is going to do in terms of like does that mean that a bunch of the town has been destroyed as the demons sort of uh, ran through um that might be what i did um But in any any case, as a result, um, they just sat back behind the walls and were shooting arrows at the the demons for a while uh, and then very clearly and specifically targeted the big bad demon that they saw in the distance, um, which was a Marilith, right? Uh, and so they just target the Mer like clearly this is the problem. And so they just target the Merolith uh, to the point that James just sort of skips over all the waves, lets them kill some things along the way, but they want to zoom in on the Merilith, He lets them just sort of zoom in on the Merolith and, and jump straight to that fight. And and there were really no waves, so it was inter- it's again interesting to see how he's modifying and and re- changing the way he does his own adventure. <laughs>
1: And it, it does seem to kind of have that, that spirit of, like, do it the way you would want to do it, uh, because that that's exactly, uh, sounds exactly like the spirit of this. It's like, here's some really good guidelines, but also you can throw them out the window and do it your own way.
0: Right. Well, and, and you're right. It, it is very clearly set up to acknowledge and deal with that, because... Um, when you, even, you know, you see it even back with, uh, even before you get to Ralakai, right? There's you, there's, uh, what was it, the I forget the name of it, the second sort of a little mini-dungeon between Frostfell and this, the Star Elf Barrow. Yeah, the,
2: the Dwarf Place Gardong Marhold or something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that.
0: And so you run into the, the bandit faction that's there working for Ralakai, and you realize, and, and there's an opportunity to realize actually there's, there's dissent within the faction, and you can choose to, like, you know fight all of the bandits and do it that way or you can choose to team up with the the bandit who's looking to overthrow the current leader um and and set up a new leader who's maybe more friendly to you and uh, then you get to relic and you can take him out or you can you know sort of team up with him uh and and so yeah i think there's a lot of acknowledgement not they don't leave it just completely open-ended which is actually nice like i i don't if I, if I wanted it completely open-ended where I just made all the choices, I don't need an adventure, right? I'm just making it up on my own at that point. Um, but, they, but they recognize the most likely options. They, they lay out, like, here are the different paths that are possible, and here's sort of how to adjudicate that if that's the direction that your players decide to go. And I thought that was well done. Yeah, agreed. And it kind of ties into um, part three as we're about to talk about part three. Because part three is, and I think the part three and part four will actually be a little bit faster to talk about. Um, yeah. because they're mostly just doing one thing, right? Um, so part three is the hex crawl where you're exploring the Luna Valley and you're looking for different things. Uh, mostly, well, and and I guess what you're looking for completely depends on what it is that you've decided you want to do, as the or at least what the players want to do, right? they 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 get. Given, they're given four different options in terms of how they want to solve the problem, right? all of which involve this ritual, which is good because they just spent the entire last five levels hunting down the components for the ritual. right? Uh, so I suppose they should do something with it, but they can either um, use the ritual to bring down another glacier and re-trap Zancrown. Um, they can use the ritual to create a second dungeon and and trap this this comet demon who's come to um, to free Zan Crown. Right? Um, they can use it to kill Zan Crown, and I forget what the fourth option was. Do you guys remember?
2: Uh, you can use it to make a cure for the plague, oh, but yes. it's it's more of a, it's a limited cure. So I mean, it's hey, we can kind of cure everybody in the valley and make them immune to it. Right. But um, but basically you'd have to keep on recasting the ritual to keep getting more and more people cured
0: right it's it's really a band-aid, not a solution,
2: yeah
1: well, and that's what they all seem to be is uh, either a band-aid solution or just kicking the problem down the line, which is complete D&D adventure like that's what what they would totally do just like, okay we can't deal with this let's let's let the people in a thousand years worry about it. Oh
0: see, I was thinking the opposite like. Um, it seems to me that that at least in most of the games that I've run, um, a lot of problem, a lot of big epic you know world ending problems are the result of people in the past who've kicked the can down the road. and now the players are finally right. gonna deal with it, you know They're finally gonna do yeah. it the right way. <laughs> and, and, and if we're being honest, this adventure is set up to do that, right? The, yeah. wh- mm-hmm. wh- well, they lay out in in part three, they lay out, like, here are four equally possible options that they could go with. But if you do that, then you don't need part four. Because part four assumes you're going into the dungeon and you're going to kill Zancrown. <laughs> so, right. if you chose one of the other options, that's that's the end of the campaign. You know, we don't need part four. Um, so, so yeah. And, and, and the cure one, especially, is uh, not very effective, right? Because yeah, we can, what is it, every casting you get like 100 doses of the cure? Yeah, but how good is that, how helpful is that going to be, you know, a, a month or two down the road when every other person in, in the valley is a VALOC, right? Um,
2: that, that's definitely a, one of your PCs has been infected with the demon plague. Here is a way you can get around it. Oh, I suppose. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? This, is, this is a, a That's p- my potential. assumption. Yeah, this is a way to or get.
2: Or some, some NPCs that you really care about, yeah.
0: Right. That's That's a good point um so yeah so the assumption is they're gonna go after Xanacrown. but in order to do that you have to find where the demon plague dungeon is where is it, where is it, where is Zancrown hidden uh it's been buried under a glacier for a thousand years uh and it was lost you know to the to the destruction of the dwarves uh for for several thousand years before that right uh, and so it becomes a big hex crawl Run all over the place Along the way, hopefully um, Find the uh, You can find the comet And deal with some of the demons there But the the big bad comet demon That brought the comet there uh, Isn't there um, Because it has found The entrance to Zan Crown's dungeon so that, Which is very clearly designed To be set up So that, that the comet demon Can be the big bad fight To conclude this part of the adventure, right? Right. Uh, and so, yeah, so it becomes a hex crawl. You run around, you're rolling random dice, you're seeing what you run into, uh, you're seeing whether or not you find the things you're looking for, and eventually, by random determination, hey, you found it.
2: Yeah, I um, I think part three is definitely the, uh, the weakest part, um, partially because it, it is just a, well, you, you know, if you run it as written, it is eventually, yeah, Hope the dice roll out in your favor, otherwise it could drag on for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most GMs, I think, will just kind of make that according to their own timing. But um, I mean, in my opinion, hex crawls work best at lower levels. Because at this point, I mean, if someone is doing a hex crawl when they're mm. level 14 or something like that, you know, scry and commune, find out exactly where you need to go and then go there. Right. Why you know, and and we'll fly there or teleport there. There's no reason to <laughs> crawl hex by hex. Right. Wor- worst um, case
0: scenario, we can get four or five hexes
2: done per day just by flying over it. Yeah. Um, and not getting so, the
1: things that are there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And like, so I mean, I enjoy a good hex crawl. Like, that was my favorite. One of my favorite parts of the Tomb of Annihilation. We had a great time doing a hex crawl through a through a jungle. But you know, that's levels one through five. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this, I'm again, this is me speaking in theory because I'm not to that part. But I'm a lot more. That's that's probably a lot more of an area that I'm going to change is once once we kind of hit that uh, that bit of the game.
0: Well, and there's not a lot of story happening in this whole section, right? It's mostly a it's mostly five levels of hunt around and see what you see, and, and there's some stuff going on uh, that you might deal with, and there's some story encounters that yeah. you throw in there. But the real thrust of this whole section is you should go find the the entrance, right?
2: Yeah. There's it's, not a it's lot of beats. The, yeah. Uh, this one, it felt a little bit more like like padding or like, hey, we need to make this a 1 to 20 adventure. What are we going to do for levels 10 to
1: 15? Mm. Um, and,
2: oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, uh,
1: sorry, uh, I was just going to say it's it's an odd... Because really, a hex crawl is its own thing. It's a, It's a mechanic that... Uh, kind of um, takes the center stage. And I always like to think of, uh, if you're going to do a 1-to-20 adventure, there's a really good chance that someone might start this as their first experience with Dungeons & Dragons or role-playing mm-hmm. or what have you. And to introduce uh, a hex crawl, uh, like, you know, more than halfway through this adventure just seems like an odd thing. Like, either start with a hex crawl and introduce that as a, as a mechanic or, or and so on, or Uh, maybe do it like a like a little ways in but not like this far in it almost seems like a like a a huge tonal shift for being that far into the adventure Mm
2: -hmm. yeah Um, and also at this point odds are they've got a decent amount of the uh, the valley already kind of mapped out
0: yeah i guess part of the idea here is that if you've mapped out the valley before this, um, you may have missed large chunks because there was still melting going on, right? A lot of it was still sure. buried, and you didn't fi- and, and the ruins weren't exposed, and and so that part actually I think is a strength of that because it, it, yeah. it highlights the time, the passage of time is existing, and the melt is still happening. Sure. So so I found I enjoyed the, I actually thought that was okay. Um, the parts that the, and I'm not. I'm not generally a huge fan of hex crawls, and I think there's a couple of ways you can do these kinds of things. I actually prefer the way Tomb of Annihilation did it, where where you know the thing you're looking for is in a specific location, and there are multiple things you might encounter on your way to exploring to eventually find it. You don't know what that location is. There are some possible clues you might run into along the way, um, and that. That is more fun to me. It tells a better story to me. Uh, you can control the narrative uh, in, in more meaningful ways that way. Whereas the random location bit where, well, every time they explore a hex, roll a dice and, and figure out if that's where the thing is that they're looking for, right? Um, that becomes weird. Like there's one, one of the options where they're casting the ritual to rebring the glacier in. You have to go around the perimeter of the entire valley, which could take – months of travel uh, just re- rolling random encounters and occasionally like what is it a five percent chance that one of them is going to have one of these nodes that you need to to cast at um, yeah. that sounds like a real slog um and 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 it and that randomness to it could mean that you go like there's suddenly there's three nodes right next to each other and then you don't run into another one for like 500 miles. And that's weird. And, um, you know, I could I can see that whole thing coming off a little bit strange. I just, I would just rather they be on the map and we know where they are and the players have to figure out where they are. Uh, but even that you're right. I think at, at this level, it's, it's weird to do that anyway.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my vague thought right now is probably, so, Part part four is the big Zancrown dungeon where you're actually going in after him. And even though it's a mega dungeon, there are different factions there that you can try to play off of each mm-hmm. other. And each faction is representative of a one of the you know, one of the fallen civilizations. And so you can you can have a lot of fun with that. I'm probably going to take that and move that more as make that more my part three. Like I'll, I'll level everything down a little bit, and you know levels probably like 12 to 17 or something like that. will be going through the Zancrown dungeon, mm-hmm. and then make my high tier like you know level. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty, epic level stuff. Like, Okay, you killed a Zancrown. There's a lot of plague demons. Why don't you let's go kill all of them so this will never happen again, and then go crazy extra planar into the abyss. You know, do level twenty character stuff, but right. still kind of keep it in theme of, you know, as you kill one Zancrown, you you know you, you see a, a mural on the wall showing thousands of Zancrown eggs. That kind of you know one of those <laughs> things. You know, I, I like I've got a lot. year probably till I till I get here. So. Um, that's kind of my expectation. Like, I might do a little bit of the hex crawl. I'm not going to do five levels of it.
0: Yeah, and and there, the story bits that are there are interesting. Like, yeah, de- dealing with the giant war is cool. Finding the entrance is cool. Um, um, what the raid on Tomar's Crossing. I'm looking through the chapter right now. It's saving Fairy Eye. Uh, all of those things are interesting and, and necessary. Um, I just don't. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of wanted. I think you could run those story encounters. Pick a set location for where the the plague uh, de- uh, the plague dungeon is the demon plague dungeon is right uh, and then just run it without the exploration piece because like you've said at, at this higher level it seems like a, a bit of a moot point anyway that said I kind of I kind of wish they had done the hex crawl earlier because they loaded in a ton of really cool things on how to run a hex crawl yeah it just needed to be at level five to ten you know.
2: Yeah, so maybe switching part two and part three might have worked a bit better. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Or, or – well, yeah. and, may, and maybe that's – maybe you can introduce the hexcrawl bit from part three into part two in order to find all those components they need to, for the ritual. Yeah. That might, that might work fairly well. So anyway, um, I I feel like – there's there's good things here and there's good reason to critique a, a little bit as well one of the th- one of the things that james actually said when i asked him for review copies uh for for a few of uh the folks working on this um was uh he responded with oh yeah great i will definitely send those out be warned i've learned a lot since then like he, he was hedging a little bit you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um so yeah so um that, that's more or less chapter three, right, or part three, yeah. is, is this hex crawler running around and all that. And then part four um, is is relatively similar, I think, in, in terms of scope and what we need to talk about. It's just a mega dungeon. You've found the Zancrown's dungeon, um, and you have to work your way through it until you eventually find Zancrown and defeat him in, in combat. And then have the druids cast the ritual so he stays dead right that's yeah. more or less how how it all works out now like all good mega dungeons uh, and we've had episodes where we talked about mega dungeons before so i think um this plays out here as well like all good mega dungeons there is and should be like interesting factions and things going on inside the dungeon and you have that here you have factions that represent the the what four different empires that have been destroyed by xancrown before you've got the elves you've got the dwarves you've got the greenskins Uh, and slash goblins and you've got, um, the humans, right? Uh, and then you've actually have the chance for, for new people that have been captured or sucked in or whatever, um, in this most recent event, which I thought was a neat little addition because there's even this little sidebar of, uh, when you run into one of these people, uh, you know, there's a chance it's actually an NPC that they've met. Right uh, and introduce and and I don't think I would even leave it to chance. Like I think they list it as a five percent chance every time you encounter one. There's a five percent chance it's somebody they know. I think I would just say no, no, no. What this this one's somebody they know, right? I would just decide because that's oh, yeah. that's more interesting.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm I'm currently exceeding that already. Like I know I'm you know ten levels ahead at least. Before that'll happen, but I've already got some NPCs. I'm like, "Yep, you're going in. You're going in. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, they'll hate to run into you. So you're definitely going to be there." <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well, and, and and the factions are interesting, and and because you get a little bit more of the lore and the history uh, of the of the setting uh, of this you know this whole threat, uh, because you sort of see the different four different layers of um, of civilizations that have been destroyed, right? Uh, At the same time, it's interesting because none of them are still what they were, right? There's something about the magic of the dungeon that transforms them all into, was it either demons or undead?
2: Uh, Yeah, so you got one faction that's uh, a bunch of mummies, one that's all vampires. Right. Um, I've forgotten what the other two are. The, The
0: elves are like all wraiths and stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah, and so so that was interesting, right? They they've been warped by the dungeon. They're clearly part of and and, and under the control a bit of the dungeon, um, but they're still kind of their own thing too, right? Um, and they're still competing with each other, but they're also all still guarding Zancrown. It's it's a little bit weird that they're competing with each other, but also all have the exact same goal.
2: Um. Yeah, and once you uh, and you've got to get uh, you know you've got to get the generic MacGuffins from them. But then once you do, you right. can go and fight uh, fight Zancrown, which as far as like a a you know overall adventure capping boss, it's man that's a that's a tough monster. He's got some uh, got some really fun abilities. That'll be a that'll be a tough fight.
0: Yeah, well, and it's a good thing that it's a tough and interesting monster because the actual encounter is is pretty bland. Like there's no environmental effects there's no strange fantastic things going on in the room um all that all that i think could be could have been spiced up a lot more oh, yeah. um yeah. because it's just sort of uh, you know if you just read through the room descriptions and you get to the bit with xan crown it comes off a little anticlimactic to me it's like and then there he is, and you fight him and the end oh okay
1: <laughs> no definitely so- i could de- i could see where uh james might have been like oh, i would have done this different had i done it now it's but that's kind of the curse of writing sure you you finish what you have and, and then you learn and then you wish you could have gone back and done differently but then but i mean right. i i don't i don't know if that's where he's coming from but i could only guess
0: yeah. i think no good project is ever done right it's all it's just it's just turned in
1: no exactly yeah. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head that's what i was trying to say
0: yeah so so yeah and, and i also noticed that like they get to a point where they're trying to throw in almost every iconic sort of magic item that you could possibly pick up, uh, if not here or then earlier. Like, there's there's a Vorpal Sword and a Mace of Disruption, and I think it's only missing a Wand of Wonder, Wonder and a Staff of the Magi. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, mean that... The most valuable thing in the entire campaign is that uh, Mace of Disruption, which you get at, like, level three, right. and smart PCs will never throw that away because oh, no. that... Uh, <laughs> Versus undead and fiends, like yeah, that'll take you the entire game,
0: right? And I think there's another one in in part four in the dungeon. I think there was another one laced in there too, so they could actually pick up two bases of disruption over. The, <laughs> I think there's an oath bow. There's all kinds. Oh my! It's like every right. good stuff, every possible. But at that point, you're almost at the end anyway. Um. So, anything we wanted to say, sort of, about the story? Um. At this point.
2: Um. So. I I know I've said it before, but definitely the strongest part of this adventure is part one and Tomar's Crossing and the NPCs that they uh, they meet. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I would say um, is uh, you know it'll definitely take some effort to make sure that those NPCs in that town stays relevant uh, kind of throughout uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of the uh, the campaign and make you know them want to keep on going back and keep on caring about them. Um, So uh, I know one thing that I'm looking at is. you know, as you hear more and more about the Blood War, if this really is a demon plague and the demons are, you know, get, going to spread out across the Luna Valley and across whichever campaign world they're in, mm-hmm. that means there's going to be a bunch of devils who are like, "Hey, we need to get involved here." Um, yeah, so there's that, a whole there's a whole a other really storyline cool.
0: you could throw in, right?
2: Yeah, um, and if you've got people like uh, like Bajalen who's still running Tomar's Crossing, like you want to talk with about somebody who will make a pact with a devil mm. to stay in power. Um, so I, I'm looking at throwing some of that stuff in. Uh, the entire city of Safe Harbor. There's like a little bit of an additional like bonus content where it's got some information there. But you've got this was a pretty large metropolis city that is you know more or less ruined and in chaos with like you know an undead kraken in it. Uh, there's a lot of potential there. So there's a lot of areas where you can still. I mean, yeah. You know, one of the other things that this adventure does well, it leaves a lot of room to add in stuff to really make this shine and make it tailored to your PCs. Uh, so I definitely encourage people to do that. Absolutely.
1: And, uh, I mean, everything Everything here is, is done really well uh, with the idea of modularity in mind. You could very easily substitute another Demon Lord in here. Um, there's the Frost Giant Demon Lord, whose name I have a really hard time pronouncing.
0: or something, yeah?
1: Yeah, that's the one. He could very easily be the one in here, um, and so on. Mm-hmm um and it's really cool for someone who just wants to be able to like bring whatever their story is here um and just kind of personalize it. it's probably something i would do uh if, uh, if i were to run this uh, campaign which uh i'm eager to do at some point when my when my plate is a little bit cleared but um they they really do a good job of because it's a valley because it's been covered with ice you could literally throw it anywhere uh, and just say oh yeah nobody has been here uh but now the ice is melting." Um, so just that kind of self-contained nature of it makes it really uh really cool to play with because it, it literally could be anywhere um and uh it it's all feasible it's not like it's not like a comet fell and all of a sudden all these things that weren't there before now are it just it makes a lot of sense right
2: um there's also a uh you see a bit, especially as you're wandering the valley, of a bunch of giants that keep on fighting with each other and lots of skirmishes between like uh, frost giants and uh, and fire giants. So if you were like me and you ran Storm King's Thunder and you still have all of this giant stuff that you never actually got to use, this is a great place to start putting a lot of that back in.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I've even seen some people on, I think, the Facebook group who have talked about combining Storm King's Thunder and the Demon Plague and kind of running both of those in tandem, you know, Jeff Griner style, where you just mash up two different and mash campaigns and just kind of like, yeah, let's shove them all together <laughs> and make PCs deal with both of them. Works for me. So uh, th- this uh, this is definitely a campaign with that that, that could work very well.
1: Yeah. One, one more thing that I was going to add, too, is that I like the idea that like different planes and different worlds are probably seated with these like contained demon Lords. And that's where all of them are. Cause there are, you know, probably hundreds of demon Lords. just given the, the, the randomness and the, the proliferation of the abyss. Right. It's like, where are all of them? They're probably like sealed away on some random world and just waiting <laughs> to be. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and it, they seem to have gone out of their way. Like they've introduced not only Xan crown as this previously un. Described uh, demon lord, uh, as well as the comet demon, uh, which I'm assuming is also a demon lord and not just some sort of lower level, you know, pit fiend sort of level uh, creature. Um, but they they introduce them as comet demons and plague demons as if that is a whole type of demon, except that yeah. it doesn't exist anywhere else in lore that I've ever heard of.
2: Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, you know, my my plan for the actual epic level is. This is a plague demon. There's right. a lot more. And one plague demon can wipe out an entire civilization. So that make being epic level in I think the version I'm gonna do is yeah. go destroy all of them because you cannot let even one of these things survive.
1: And I was just gonna say that uh, like just the infinite nature of the abyss means that there's infinite types of demons that no one's ever heard of. Um, I like in uh, what is it, the uh, descent into uh, Avernus. Where they even make it to like where the demons under a particular demon lord take on the the physical appearance of their demon lord, uh, and so you could imagine just the demons, and the demons as a as a as a uh, faction are just so unfocused and so all over the place uh, that even just having two demon lords coming after you isn't enough to make you know the devils t- uh, stand up and take notice. Sure. Uh, and so you could just have like all of these random demon lords that no one's ever heard of stuck in some you know out of the way uh, planar corner, uh, and then all of a sudden something wakes them up, and now you've got yet another thing to worry about. Right? Yeah, there's a lot going on, and honestly, I
0: think as much whether it's adding in all these extra storylines of the devils coming in or other demon lords getting involved, bringing the blood war into it, or it's mashing it up with Storm King's Thunder, or whatever. One of the things I noticed was. Um the the adventure is sort of set up in a way that assumes milestone leveling, which is fine with me because that's my preferred way of of leveling up uh games anyway. But it also occurs to me that like in theory that means I think you're leveling up really fast. Um it seems to me that the it's it's in terms of campaigns, it's a 1 to 20 campaign, but it's a pretty short 1 to 20 campaign.
2: Uh yeah, you if you like meet regularly every week, you could probably knock this out in a year if you if you really push.
1: It 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 seems like it's just a just a skosh longer than it would be if it were like a um shadow of the Demon Lord campaign
4: mm. um
1: where it's meant to be kind of like done very quickly and mm. in succession. Um so yeah, you could probably do it uh within the stretch of a year but i think i like that about it especially if you were to condense some of the parts and and not go all the way to level 20 within the scope of it it would feel a little bit more natural that way uh like just kind of take out the chunks of of part three that you didn't want and maybe finish it like 16 or 17 and then either decide if you're going to continue and do like the super epic stuff or just cut it there and it Mm -hmm. feels like a like a complete story
0: absolutely All right. Any last thoughts? Because we have ended up going well over an hour, and if I add in an interview with with James at this point, it's going to be a really long episode. So...
2: I mean, I can sit here and toss out ideas about stuff to add in, but no one wants to hear my stupid ideas. <laughs> well,
0: that would but. be great. We should. We should. Uh, I've talked for, uh, off and on for a little while of doing like uh, a behind the DM screen, like the B team. So I'd love. You know, that's a great place to <laughs> put in your ideas. But um, this is not a review of John's ideas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, great. So, if uh, Ishmail, did you have any last thoughts?
1: Uh, Just a couple of things about the the, uh, actual product itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminds me a lot of a Raging Swan product, which is high praise, if anybody knows about Raging Swan. Uh, Just clean, well-delivered, great art, uh, awesome layout. I really love the way that all of the uh, content was delivered, especially like the random encounter tables. I didn't get to talk about that too much earlier,
3: right.
1: uh, and just how it seemed like everything was appropriate. You you were fighting like, um, things that were appropriate to your level and things that were like kind of seemed interesting within just the the random encounter tables. It made me excited to roll on them, which random encounter tables don't usually do. Right. Um, and the the side quests that were thrown in also were really neat and seemed like it was kind of like uh, adding some meat and potatoes to it um and i think that's all that i had to say yeah
2: all right great uh, they've uh sorry one last thing yeah. they, one thing that i really really like is there's an npc codex which is just like for every major npc in the game it's a one-page sheet it's got the uh the portrait and it's kind of got, hey, here's just some quick, just a quick rundown on the NPC. Here's some mm-hmm. of their goals. Here's some of their secrets, et cetera. Just as a GM to glance at and say, okay, I know know what this is, and then a big spot for writing in your own notes and making your own uh, and and adding whatever details you need to. Um, and that's really handy for me to run because I've just got I've got that stack. When I get to that NPC, I can pull it out, remind players what they look like, and I can quickly remind myself, all oh, right, here's what this NPC's deal is, instead of going back through this, you know, 200 something page PDF. Yeah, right on. So no. It's a really handy thing to have.
0: Yeah, uh and there was uh, Ishmael, did you end up getting that as well? I don't rem- I don't know what came with just the kickstarter or what what came with the the adventure and as a whole.
1: Um yeah, it came with quite a few things uh okay. just looking at here maps, bonuses and the PDFs so that we're like kind of split up into um into four parts, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um Instead of having like, if I were if I were to print it out, I wouldn't have to print out a huge chunk. And I like having, uh, kind of like in the um Beetle and Grimm style, I like having like the just the chunks of things so that I can right. mess with that as as we play through. And it feels like I'm giving more focus to it than flipping through a big old book. I like yeah. the big old book, but I also like having <laughs> those, those chunks as well. Right.
0: So, I am here now with James Intercasso. You m- might remember him if you've been listening to the Tome Show for a while. Uh, you know, he produced a lot of fantastic content here and probably brought half of our listeners to the show. So, uh, he's back. He's uh, promoting a thing that he wrote like, I don't know, 17 years ago. Is that about right? <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, it was a while ago. Yeah. I'm, uh, I think 20. 20- Might have started in 2015, even, uh, writing. No, it couldn't be 2015. Maybe it was 2015. Might have started writing this in 2015, the end of 2015. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's uh, The Demon Plague. It's been uh, a while, and it is one of the very first things that I wrote uh, for 5th edition that someone else published. It is not the first thing that got published, um, but it is one of the first things I wrote that got published. that makes sense. Things Um, came
0: out out of order for you? Is that what happened?
4: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the Demon Plague is massive. It's, uh, you know, like over – it's almost 400 pages. I think it's 375 pages. Um, And that's just
0: parts one through four. That doesn't include some of the supplementary stuff that also came out, right?
4: Exactly, exactly. And it was a thing that John 4 asked me to work on with him. And it was the first time either of us had done anything this massive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I, at the time, had written one other D&D adventure for, for like, another publishing company. Right. Um, and it was a one-shot adventure. Right. So this was... Something very different, and I think was more work than either of us anticipated. (laughs) Uh, And uh, it took me like a year to write it. It took John like a year to edit it and put all the art assets and everything together. Um, and, uh, and then we did a Kickstarter and then, you know, yet production had to happen after that too. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, it's, uh, so it that was, was a long process.
0: So that was the process, John sort of, did he give you a sort of an outline of what he wanted it to be and then you wrote it and he edited it or how did that work?
4: So John does classes. He does, uh, online seminars yeah. or DMs. And for writers and stuff, and he – the idea for the Demon Plague actually came out of one of those Mm. um, that I was not involved in. He he sat down and said, if we were going to write an adventure, what's a cool seed? And worked with the group that he was with to come up with the idea of the Mm -hmm. Luna Valley and the comet and everything like that. And uh, really the, the basis of part one. Um, is what they all came up with. And he had a very detailed outline for part one. Uh, He did not have (laughs) uh, anything more than kind of like an ideas for parts two through four. And what he knew was he, he knew he wanted it to help DMs learn how to DM. And so that's why part one is like a more linear adventure. Part two becomes a sandbox part three becomes a hex crawl, and then part four is this mega dungeon with all of these factions right. that need to negotiate, right? Yeah, in, um, my, in and, my notes
0: here, I said, part one is Tyranny of Dragons, part two is uh, Storm King's Thunder, part three is Tomb of Annihilation, and part four is Dungeon of the Mad Mage or Princess of the, of, of the Apocalypse.
4: Yeah, I yeah. mean, <laughs> I think that's uh, that's high praise, um, and uh, but that is definitely what we were going for. Right. And I think... Running the adventures for a new DM, uh, you know, I I actually don't know if that's necessarily the order you should run them those adventures in mm-hmm. if you're learning, but um, it's not a bad way to to go. Uh, considering Tyranny of Dragons is very linear, right? right? And sort of says like you know, scene one, scene two, scene three, that kind of thing. Um, and so that was that was the basic idea. I definitely think parts of it got away from us, and it's not an adventure I would necessarily recommend for new DMs because of that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I would love to. If there are new DMs who have used it and it's helped them, I think that's great. But if there are... uh, A lot of the reviews I have read um, have said, like, this is a great adventure. Do not try to run this if you're a new DM. Mm. Um, So, uh, And I do think we probably could have given more hand-holding and advice in that regard. Um, So... Yeah. I mean,
0: I've seen I've seen adventures for new DMs, or even something like the starter set adventures and that kind of stuff, and they they throw in a lot of sidebars, especially at the beginning, with like, "Hey, here's a situation. This is how you'll run it." And you you chose not to sort of go that route with this one, right?
4: Right, and the part of the reason for that is, you know, it's funny, like, I'm delving into, like, oh, all the mistakes we made, because I am very proud of the Demon Plague. Right. It was a ton of work, uh, and I I love it, and I've, you know, I've run the adventure for friends, um, I know a lot of other people who are running it and having it a blast, and, uh, and I am grateful uh, that you are doing a review on it, <laughs> uh, so... All of that said, I you know I think it helps when designers talk Mm. a little bit about like, oh, you know this is what we thought we were getting into. I when John approached me, he said we're going to do a level one through twenty adventure. I think it'll be about twenty thousand words, Uh, and I didn't know any better, so I said that sounds right. Uh, Which it's I mean it's over ten times that. Oh sure. Um, So uh, that'd be be
0: what a thousand words a, a level. Like you're, right. you're going to, each level is going to be two, what, two pages? Uh, I don't think
4: so. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So very right. And all I needed to do was uh, look up how many words are on a page or how, how long <laughs> a typical hardcover adventure, which sometimes only spans five levels is right. right. Um, so that was a, uh, that was eye opening for sure as we got into it. Um, and so I think it was like, well, we're not really going to have space in the book to put all of the advice we want to put in there. So that's uh, why a lot of that didn't end up in there.
0: Okay. Very good. Yeah. Uh, So you, so, so the goal was to have something for beginning DMS, although it kind of got away with from you. What do you mean by it got away from you just that it ended up being bigger. So there wasn't room to build in the scaffolding or was there another way that like the story just went directions you weren't expecting?
4: Yeah. So I think part of it was uh, that it, it certainly got way bigger than uh, than we had outlined be again just because we were foolish and uh, we were willing to put enough hours in to even after it had ballooned to this enormous size make sure that it got to print right but uh, yes, there were some other things so like I think when you look at Tomar's crossing in part one um, it is there are all kinds of hooks there right and and side quests and Things that you can do in the town. And that like blew up. And that was part of John's outline. That was something he had developed. And there are locations that were like totally cut from there because it was like, wow, this is already so big. And I think looking back, right, the intent of that is that you can use those encounters kind of throughout your experience with the demon plague. You don't have to use them all in part one. But the way we wrote it uh, and the challenge rating of a lot of the monsters, it it could be done during part one. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of DMs say, like, well, after part one, all this information on the town is kind of useless because then we go on to discuss what's happening in the town in parts two and three. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have been better if we had spaced out some of those quests and said, okay, now in part three, here are some other things that are happening. And now in part, you know. Um, but I am again. I'm super glad it's all in there and it's made right. it there because people can do that. So I think it's the, you know we got carried away with side quests and with the town of Tomars Crossing and and that kind of thing um, because it was fun and we we right. wanted to, to do those things. So yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting that you talked about all the the side quests with the 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 different people in Tomars Crossing, right? Uh, and. I, that was one of the things I really liked about, especially about that chapter, right, the, where you get the whole, like, if you go to this person first, so this is the kind of thing they say. But if you go in a different order, it might change some of the – You know, there are some people, like, if you go to this person first, they're going to be mad that you went to this person first or whatever, right? Uh, but then there's mm-hmm. all these individualized sort of side quests that you get from each one. And it kind of reminded me of Dragon Heist if you considered each of those people a faction, <laughs> right, they're kind of the factions of Tomar's Crossing, um, yes. and so I, part of and then I, I started thinking about it. it's like well, and James worked on that too, but I don't know like <laughs> what you did on each product, right? So I, I was mm-hmm. curious how much of what you learned through the Demon Plague, spanning all these different types of play, has has come back to be like, well, that was a good like beta run. Now I can try it, you know, with the big dogs over here at Wotsey. Th- th- does that happen or?
4: Oh yeah, I mean it was you know uh, the old ten thousand hours, right? right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, just writing the Demon Plague was a a lot of learning how to write an adventure mm-hmm. and looking things up. You know, while I was writing it, I would have the Watsy books by my side so that I could say like, okay, so how did they how did they do traps? Right? How do they talk about traps? How do they talk about? Uh, ability checks. How Mm. do they talk about these kind of things? And so delving into that and looking at that was one of the things that I think helped secure a job at Watsy because in the time I was writing The Demon Plague, I did start to pick up and and get other work and so I was applying those skills to that. Right. Um, Just maintaining this
0: sort of consistent use of language.
4: Exactly, yeah. yeah. And a lot of, uh, and also seeing how it evolves from book to book, right? The things are different in Baldur's Gate things are written differently things mm-hmm. are um presented differently than they are in Tyranny of Dragons uh and so it's oh, always sure. good to have like the most recent book on your lap so that you can know right. uh what's how have things changed because it, it, sometimes it'll be the tiniest thing like uh so they stopped using in Baldur's Gate the abbreviations for like alignment so instead of le, they write out lawful evil. Oh, I didn't even neutral. notice that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's tiny things like that um, that I, you know, I don't know how much that helps, but every every little bit kind of helps when you're working with Watsi. Uh, right. And I I know that that helped because when I sent stuff, so Chris Perkins was looking for writers and he asked me, did I have anything on the DMs Guild? to show him, and so I sent him some adventures that I had worked on for uh, before Dragon Heist, and he said, like, one of the things that really impressed me was how well you knew the style. Um, and it was right. like, oh, okay, that's good to know. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and the <laughs> Demon Plague is a lot of that.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: great. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, yeah. So there's a few things I noticed that I was curious about in terms of the, the specifics of the adventure. Uh, it seemed to me... Especially if you leave out like the supplemental stuff, um, mm-hmm. the extra adventures and, and whatever, um, it seems to me that that it levels pretty fast. And I and I know you did that with your stream as well, that you were leveling pretty fast. Because uh, I, I who was I talking to? Oh, Robert. I was talking to Robert aducci about it um, last week. Um, mm-hmm. And so and he mentioned that leveling was pretty fast through this for when you ran it on your stream. Right, and uh, yes. so so I'm curious if that was intentional, or if you expected DMs to sort of start padding things out and adding more, or or what was your thinking in terms of the fast leveling?
4: So uh, the, in the stream, I should say we leveled even faster uh, okay. than we did than you do in the book um, because uh, I. There's a lot of dungeon crawling in the book. I love dungeon crawls as a player. I don't know that they're necessarily super entertaining on stream to do right. over and over again. And I knew the adventure was going to end with a giant dungeon crawl. Okay. So I didn't want to spend too much time there. But um, but yeah, it, it does level fast. And it levels fast uh, because uh, that those are the kinds of games that John and I like to play. Um, so we talked about that. And we also thought it's a level 1 through 20 adventure. If people level fast, they might actually play the whole thing as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, like playing for a year and then being like, oh, all this other cool stuff has come out. We've You know, let's drop the demon plague for a while. and um, So that was the the other impetus for that was we knew it's already a long adventure. It's already a big book. Um, This would help people get through faster. And then we knew there would be supplemental material to help. Uh, pad out the adventure. You know, like the hex crawl, uh, you could make take as long as you want. The sure. the, the sandbox, you could force everybody uh, players to go to every location right. instead of just the ones they need to go to get the items they need, right? right. Um, you yeah, could, you so. could pad
0: out the hex hex crawl and have it go a long time, but I certainly wouldn't like that style of play, right? Because there's not a lot of story. It's a lot of random stuff, and that's not fun to me, but...
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's the other thing, right? I think... Especially at high levels, um, yeah. my games tend to go faster at higher level because uh, the mechanics of everything are right. just so much deeper. Um, so, yeah.
0: Well, and some, somebody even mentioned that it was weird to put the hex crawl that late into the campaign because mm. a lot of the the, the the challenges that a hex crawl presents can be fixed pretty quickly through magic at high levels. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I don't remember who said that in the review, but I remember somebody brought that up.
4: Yeah. And I think that's a great point. You know, um, I think I think, again, part of it was like this was how we had mapped the story to teach DMs. And it makes sense to bring a hex crawl before a sandbox. But it's true, right? You can just crack open some of your divination spells, find what you need to find and then teleport over there. So
0: worst case scenario, fly. You can hit multiple hexes real fast. And yeah. Mm-hmm. so yep mm-hmm. uh, you also so the the story revolves around a an imprisoned plague demon who uh, is being freed through the efforts of a comet demon um those are not <laughs> those are not demon types until i saw the demon plague uh in, unless i'm mistaken right so tell me about about plague demons and comet demons and and what they are and why I don't have more information about them since you invented whole new types of demons. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, yeah. So those are from the mind of John four. And uh, again, that workshop that he was working mm-hmm. with and part of So John uh, was telling me a little bit about his campaign world and he's got a lot of homebrew ideas about story that don't necessarily follow what we know in monster manual and stuff and he loves spelljammer right he loves spelljammer ships and stuff like that but that. yeah absolutely <laughs> and so his his thought was like demons could ride comets out of the abyss into the material plane and crash land on the worlds of the material plane um, but to do that, you need this special kind of demon called a comet demon who can fly kind of like you need a loth to to pilot a boat in the river Styx from Morgan Tome of Foes, right? Sure. Um, and so the, that was the idea was like, uh, this, so this demon, um, uh, who is a plague demon. And I think. He liked the idea of a plague, and everybody liked the idea of a plague that was turning people into these undead demons. And so it, it was backwards engineered from like, okay, well, what would cause that, right? How, how would that happen? And it mm-hmm. was like, well, there was a demon. Uh, and then this, you know, they liked this idea of all these lost civilizations that had fallen to the plague. At, Conveniently exactly
0: like a thousand years apart every single time, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the, the history That's... is repetitive. I think very much intentionally. Right. It just sort of cycles over and over again.
4: Exactly. Yeah. And so you got a little bit of prophecy. It's also easier for DMs to remember. Right. Uh, if you know, if there's a hundred and thirty-two years between one, and then six hundred and fifty-five years, uh, it gets a little crazy. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then uh, and so they thought of this idea for like a plague demon, and I part of it was like. Disease is extremely easy to cure in 5th edition D&D, right? If you have a paladin, you can walk around curing everybody's disease pretty right. early on. Uh, by level 2, uh, you know, you're know you able to cure a lot of disease. So it was this idea of like this demon would need to be super powerful because it needs to be a disease that isn't just uh, sloughed off by lay on hands or a remove disease spell. Right. Um, and then it became the thing of like, okay, so the comet wakes him up. Uh, But I think the idea that the comet was just this random occurrence uh, didn't sit well. So then there was this idea of, like, okay, this plague demon has lackeys. And so the comet demon is one of these lackeys who comes and frees uh, and tries to free the the plague demon. Um, And they wanted this demon imprisoned, too, because – or John. This was really John's idea. He wanted this hard choice in there. And so – the adventure can end well before level 20 right. uh, because players can make a choice to sort of seal off the dungeon again um, and leave the demon alive inside, meaning that events history could repeat itself. Right, right.
0: Right. Yeah. In fact, you did that a lot in throughout the adventure in a way that I thought was really well done in, in terms of. Uh, there are multiple ways of resolving various encounters right you can go in and you can kill ralakai or you can ally with him cuz he kind of has the same goal as you right he's just kind of a jerk about it uh you know uh, or you can you can kill zancrown or you can refreeze zancrown or you can create a new uh was it dungeon to trap the comet demon as well so it doesn't hit, so it doesn't show up and just keep Trying to free him over and over again, right? There's all these mm-hmm. different solutions uh, that can that are explicitly sort of detailed how you would play those out, even if it sort of changes the scope of the the story.
4: Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, again, we wanted to give the the freedom uh, for play groups to play their way because I I don't know about you, but I've played in a ton of groups where you know they'll get the 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 patron right or the the quest mm. giver will say you must do this and the group will say well it would be a lot easier if we just collapse that mountain on the fire giant's head and <laughs> right. instead of going in there and try, you know and it's like oh yeah that, i mean that's i can't deny that that is a better course of action and i think uh again if you're a, a newer dm or even some old hat dms think like well this is the way the adventure is written so it has to play this way mm. And I know um, Sam, right, uh, often in his reviews says, like, this is what the adventure says. And I know I can hack it, but, like, the adventure design says X specifically. So th- I had that in my head a lot right. while I was thinking of it. Because, yeah, you you want to be able to give those options uh, mm-hmm. to players.
0: So so speaking of uh, – you mentioned earlier the, the various um, – iterations every thousand years a new sort of civilization grew up in the luna valley and then got destroyed by the by zan crown and then re-imprisoned them and whatever uh, and at one point there was a group of green skins running around mm. um what's that <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there is no group of humanoids known as green skins in DD. uh what's meant by Greenskins?
4: So uh, this is something that uh, I would definitely go back and change, uh, and I think we we may change this in electronic copies. Um, we're talking about goblinoids there. Okay, uh, and I later think on they're was... just
0: later on they're just called goblins. Uh, so yeah. I, I wasn't sure if, yeah. if, if that was something different than the goblins. If it was maybe a reference to orcs or something, I wasn't sure what was going on, but.
4: Yeah, it was something – so I think it was a term that the the group came up with that okay. who had started it because I remember that was in the original outline. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something that it should have been like eh, – it, it's. I think it's problematic to point out skin color even if that skin color is sure. something that doesn't occur in the real world. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the things. We mean goblinoids there and it was <laughs> sort of a catch-all term, which doesn't even work because – you know hobgoblins they're and bugbears <laughs> and goblins they don't they're not green uh so it's not even that that uh good of a uh a, you know um sort of classification to go with uh and yeah i would not uh that's something that uh i i would change and we are trying to change uh, uh-huh. in the electronic cups and stuff yeah. uh
0: anything else that you would change if you could go back and do it
4: yeah, I, uh, so uh, some of the reviews have pointed this out and these are things that I kind of know uh, about them. I think uh, I, I so I as a white guy um, did not know a lot about like how to accomplish rape, racial representation in games. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it feels weird to me. Uh, because you're not supposed to do this in like polite company or anything like that, uh, uh point out, uh, a skin color, uh, of someone. Right. Um, but, uh, in doing research and, and thinking about it now and, and writing other things, I know that like the best way to get racial diversity in your product is to talk about everybody's skin color, right? Right. Um, so, and and that way, then, uh, if you're pointing out that someone has paler skin, uh, and you're pointing out that someone has darker skin, uh, it's, uh, it's more inclusive, it's more diverse that way. So uh, that is one thing I think we would have done, uh, is to, one, include more people in the artwork who had different skin colors, um, but also... Uh, make it more clearer in the text that like, because the Luna Valley is supposed to be this very diverse place especially Tomar's Crossing right. um, and I think someone also pointed out, uh, one of the reviews pointed out uh, as far as kind of our our uh, gender lines go, there are definitely women in the adventure um, but there aren't as many as maybe we could have put in the adventure sure. Um, So uh, that's a that's another thing. We would have put more women in various roles uh, in the adventure. Um, So those are two uh, two big sort of inclusivity things that, again, as a young writer, uh, I don't think I I knew well. Um, But uh, as far as like design stuff goes. Um, I read it now and there's a zillion things that I would change, right? <laughs> a few little bits um, of language
0: here and, and a notation there and whatever.
4: Yeah, yeah, all, all little tweaks and, and stuff like that. And the things I was talking about in the beginning of spreading out what's happening in Tomar's Crossing kind of across right. the chapters a little more, adding more DM advice. Um, but as far as the overall story goes, I'm, I'm pretty happy uh, with – the story itself and and where it goes. And uh, I see a lot of people having fun with the adventure. So that, that makes me feel very good. Good. Um, So yeah. Yeah. I don't know.
0: So, so then if for those people who are either running it or thinking to run it in the future, what's, you know, what's your big advice? Uh, What's the big thing that you would tell people, warn people, advise people to, to make sure their game goes well.
4: Sure. I, the first thing I would say is to spread out that uh, the town stuff and to also only use what you want from it, right? There's a lot of dungeons. There's a lot of uh, NPCs. There's a lot of different uh, moving parts to this, mm. and uh, you should feel free to tackle it the way that you think is going to work best for your group. That's why we wrote so many different options into it, is we wanted people to have a toy box to pull from uh, and not feel like they need to hit every single thing uh, in the adventure. Uh, And the other thing I would say is to find the good in the world. The Luna Mm -hmm. Valley is a a place where things are going pretty bad, and uh, some people are tempted by the darkness of the demon plague, and and this demon... (sighs) reawakening and stuff so make sure that the heroes have a reason to save uh the luna valley and and make sure because there's a lot of good npcs who can get buried in the crappy ones um so make sure that you're you're drawing that out to to give them a reason to save the place uh and the only other piece of advice i would have um we did this on the demon plague stream mm-hmm. is to have the characters uh be from the luna valley um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of plot hooks there uh that uh kind of go along those lines and I think that worked really well because it's kinda like instant investment. People want to save their home. Their home, right? Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah, I so. know that that's good. Uh somebody in the chat wants to know where the demon plague is available for purchase. Where can they get it these days?
4: Yes, so you can get uh all flavors, uh hard copies, uh PDFs. Uh, over at roleplayingtips.com slash demon plague. Um, it's also available on DriveThruRPG in all the various flavors. And uh, all you got to do is search for the demon plague. Demon plague is all one word. Um, or you can, uh, I think, get a soft cover, just hmm. a soft cover on Amazon right now, if that's more your, your thing. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so there, uh, there's a bunch of different ways that you can get it. Yeah.
0: So, and, and what you mentioned the idea that like there's way more necess- you know, NPCs and whatever than what may be necessary and whatever. And uh, I noticed that a little bit too. One of the things that I really enjoyed in, in my read through in preparation for our review was the fact that I've also been listening to the podcast version uh, from the stream. <laughs> uh, and listening to that and seeing how or hearing how you ran it. Uh, and then reading how it's written, uh, I'm picking up all the areas where even you who wrote the adventure have you know, left some things out or changed some things. You know, when you look at like, the town council um, elections, you've got a much longer list of NPCs of people who might run for the town <laughs> council than what you actually use, which is good because you look at that list and it is too much, right? But you've got, you, now you can pick and choose where you want to highlight uh, those NPCs.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, you know, that's a thing that I hope uh, people use, and that's where more DM advice, I think, would have come in handy, to say, like, hey, if your characters never interact with, you know, Cadra Tourmaline, uh, don't worry, maybe she's not running for re-election then, you know, <laughs> uh, that kind of Plus, thing. isn't so, she a werewolf?
0: That's what I heard. That's the <laughs> rumor I heard.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, right, you let your you let your players really drive... Um, those kinds of the things, they, uh, I found the NPCs were doing things in response that I had never planned for because the players went totally off the map. So, right. uh, yeah. How do you deal with a werewolf smear campaign? I don't right. know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was Kodra though, right? I got the right NPC?
4: Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I think that was Pauline Sandalwood. Oh, yes, okay, was okay. The, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: That they were they were telling everybody was a werewolf. But she was like, what, a druid or something? And
4: she was a druid, yeah. <laughs> yeah and she wild shaped into a wolf. Right. Yes. <laughs> Excellent.
0: All right. So I asked you um sort of my my winding things up questions. Uh I had one more, and that is uh what do you want people to know
3: that I didn't ask?
4: Uh so I think. Hmm. What I mean we we covered quite a bit. I think the big thing is there's a lot you can use in the Demon Plague uh, that is easy to pull out. So the, the dungeons are all easy to pull out and, and drop in somewhere if you need to, and um, there's a lot of little little bits and story to each dungeon that are kind of flavorful. Uh, the uh, random tables that are part of Part 3 uh, are really fun if you need to like build an encounter on the fly. I use it all the time for those kind of things, and Tomar's Crossing is also kind of a great thing to, to drop into place. Um, so I think it's a good purchase, uh, for those reasons, uh, too, that, uh, it is a a book you can easily take apart, uh, if you want to. Um, so that would be the, the big thing that I would stress, uh, is, uh, is to, to check it out. And it really is, you know, like I said, it's some of my early work. We've definitely talked about some of the blemishes uh, that it has, but overall, I am super proud of it. Yeah. So, uh, so please check it out. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. I, f- I find uh, even more than than the idea of just taking pieces out of it. I find that there's a lot of inspiration. Like, there's a lot of like between, especially between this listening to this to your running of it, and then also uh, reading through it. There's lots of little moments where it's like, oh. That's you know running a town a town council election or whatever where the PCs can get involved and they're asking you know go out and, and do this quest but come back and tell everybody it was me you know uh, or the. <laughs> Or the, uh, what is it, the, the one town ca- counselor who's who's blackmailing all the others, you know. Uh, but then also has his own sort of secret. Uh, or or the Ralakai situation where he actually wants to do the same thing and doing the, doing it the evil ways kind of run its course for him anyway. So he's completely alliable, you know. Uh, all of those things. There's actually something you did in one of the early sessions. Um, I forget what it was, ex- what you asked them exactly, but you asked all the players... Um, sort of a a quick background question at one point. And then oh, they yes. they answered it. You gave them all inspiration and then you moved on and you didn't do it every time. Uh, but I like that idea so much I now do it with every single session and I have all these fantastic little role-playing moments right at the beginning of every session that highlights backgrounds or uh, you know showcases little conversations uh, role-playing conversations that characters are having with each other and all those kinds of stuff and then I don't have to remember to hand out inspiration throughout the session because I did it you know minute five <laughs> so
4: um, that was a, <laughs> That's br- a great idea well and yeah. I got
0: I got it from listening to you you did it that one time or whatever and I thought hey that works really well i should just do that all the time so good job
4: wow yeah well thank thank you for for taking that and and making it uh, into a a new thing because i think that's an amazing idea is to start each session that way it's been working
0: really well and suddenly inspiration matters and and my players are using it every session too so it's because they know they're going to get another one at the beginning of the next session and they don't have to hoard it like people oftentimes do
4: so so anyway
0: um Unless you got anything else you want to say, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the interview here. We've gone over half an hour, and uh, the review also went like an hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> 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 so it's going to be a supersized Demon Plague episode, I think. So
4: excellent. Well, thank you so much for doing it, and uh, you know, I love the Tome Show. Uh, and I love uh, all of the listeners of the Tome Show as well. So uh, it means a lot to me that you would have me on. Thank you.
0: No, oh, well, I'll be happy to have you on anytime you want to come. We did that once. You, it was called the Roundtable, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Don't. Uh, I might
4: be back. There you go. Don't, uh, there you don't go. Leave that door open. <laughs> oh, oh, the door's
0: wide open. Uh, where should people go to to find out what you're doing now, though? I know I can uh, give them what three or four different places, but it'd probably be easier <laughs> for you to remember the list. So.
4: Yeah, so twitter.com slash uh, James jamesandtricasso, uh, worldbuilderblog.com, and uh, don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com uh, where uh, you can listen to the Demon Plague podcast.
0: There you go. There you go. Excellent. worldbuilderblog.com. Didn't it used to be a dot me?
4: It is also a dot me. Oh. <laughs> um, someone someone else, when I started OwnThe.com, and uh, when he shut down his webpage, it sent me a very nice email and said, it looks like you're doing more with uh, this than i am uh let me know if you want the domain and we'll oh, make sweet. the switch happen that was very nice. yeah and that was very nice of him yes <laughs> yeah. awesome
0: all right yeah. so people should go check those check those things out and definitely keep up with you because you are hitting it on all cylinders i would totally ask you what's coming up next but it's probably all nda from wotzy right
4: <laughs> uh, actually, so I can talk about, uh, very quickly, uh, that I am working with Matt Colville on the player's guide to capital right now. Um, so I think that's the, the, that'll be coming out, uh, at some point. DMs Guild? Uh, no, so that's for his, uh, his big oh. capital city of his setting. Oh, um, okay. So he's gonna, he's gonna publish that as part of his, uh, uh Matt Colville, uh, productions uh-huh.
3: uh, yeah, so, yeah okay
4: yeah yeah. yeah sweet uh so yeah yeah so look forward to that and maybe other stuff in 2020 we'll see things so. <laughs> yeah,
0: things as of yet unannounced
4: right right exactly, Excellent. exactly. very good so, yeah
0: all right thank you well thanks for coming on all right well then unless there's anything else i'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode so i want to thank uh skull splitter dice for supporting us i also want to thank all of our listeners who support the show by using our affiliate links to amazon or dm's guild which you can get to at thetomeshow.com or for supporting us directly as patrons at patreon.com slash show. i also want to thank our guest ishmael thank you for being on once again tell us where can we find ishmael alvarez
1: yeah i can be uh found primarily uh, on Twitter under uh, Elven Wizard King or King Lorathorn, uh, whichever is easier for you to spell. Um, and I am on Drive Through RPG under my uh, given name uh, Ismael Alvarez. Uh, uh, but also, if you look for Fat Goblin Games, I'll be uh, doing a lot of Fifth Edition stuff for them.
0: Right. And my favorite of which is your. Uh, I think I've told you before is your uh, the Aurora's uh, Go- whole realms catalogs that you've done. Right? Yes.
1: Uh, expect some more of those soon.
0: Excellent. No, I I pulled a whole list of potential furniture for my Dragon Dragonheist game that they could <laughs> populate into Troll Skull Manor. So it worked out really well. Uh, and, I love hearing. Yeah, and, and Jonathan, uh, what about you? Where, if people want to reach out to you and ask you about how your running of the Demon Plague is going, where can they go?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so you can reach out to me on uh, on Twitter at John underscore M underscore Green. And uh, hopefully, about the time that this will come out, I should have a product releasing on Drive uh, or on D- on GM's DM's Guild. That's the one right on. uh, for a uh, for a short Eberron adventure called uh, Fistful of Warforged.
0: Fistful of Warforged.
2: Yeah, going to do some crazy Western stuff. Why there not? You
0: go. That's awesome. That that would fit well into Eberron. I look forward to seeing that. All right. If you want to get a hold of the show or me or anybody else, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. You can go to at Darkmagic on Twitter and talk to Tracy, even though she wasn't on this episode. Uh, you can reach the show. It is at thetomeshow. And I think that's it. This is episode 330, where we waded through the mud and tried really hard not to get sick. In this episode of
3: Gatto, Gatto, I'm on the walk.